since it's Easter, we have broken into our normal series. So this morning, Palm Sunday, we were considering the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Now we're going to look at one event that happened, something that isn't that big in human estimation, but in Jesus' eyes, it was very significant, the giving of this poor widow. Now, it's not something I would choose to preach on because there's an obvious conflict of interest. I am a beneficiary of your giving. Also, some of us may have been in some other churches where there's been an undue pressure put upon us uh, in this area of giving. So it is something that as a preacher, I'm very loath uh, to consider. But the Lord has laid this upon my heart for tonight. And because this happened during Easter week, then I think it is uh, only right for us to consider it. And because of the financial uh, situation we are in, God is good to us, has been good to us, and he will uh, be good to us. Uh, but there is a financial need. And when we consider uh, the church at large in Wales, the financial need is desperate, if we are honest. And when we consider further afield, missionary societies and other Christian organizations, many of them are really struggling at this moment. So this whole area of giving is something that we really do need to consider. And I've just got a few questions to ask at the start. How much do you give? Do you give? Maybe you haven't thought about it. If you do give, do you believe that you should give a tithe, which is a tenth of your income? That's what the Old Testament commanded. What does the New Testament say about giving? Well, all we're going to do tonight in trying to answer some of those questions is look at an example. That's all we're going to do. And it's a lovely example, isn't it? Uh, just two points this evening. The first point is Jesus sees, he saw this poor widow. He saw what everybody was putting in. He sees what's in our bank accounts. He sees the church accounts. But more than that, he sees our hearts and our intentions. Now then, look at what we're told. Chapter 21 of Luke, the first words, and he looked up and saw, he saw. So Jesus was in the court of women in the temple, and there was a spot there during Passover when the population of Jerusalem was tripled at least. So there were about 200,000 people in the city. And this was a perfect spot, apparently, in the court of women in the temple to sit and people watch. Do you enjoy people watching? When I visited Jerusalem, I chose a cafe on the Via Dolorosa that did the best Turkish coffee in the city. And I would just sit there and watch the tourists and other strange people. 
going up the Via Dolorosa. Maybe during the Aberystwyth Conference, you sit on the promenade and people watch. Jesus Christ was a real human being. So he's resting and he's looking with others, I think. According to the commentators, a lot would have been looking at all the great and the good coming with their offerings. We can imagine, can't we, the Ethiopian eunuch. We met him at the baptism service a few weeks ago. He would have been there offering something. And on the wall of the court of women in the temple, there, uh, there wasn't a button, right? Uh, like on the internet. But there were 13 brass-looking trumpets. And people would give, not credit cards, uh, not notes, but coins. And they would give their coins uh, through uh, those slots. So you couldn't actually see how much a person would give, but you could hear from the amounts uh, of noise uh, that was made. And I'm not over-imagining here. Uh, because Luke is a gospel of contrast. That's why I read from the end of the previous chapter. It took a while to find it. But Luke is contrasting between the rich and the powerful, the religious rulers on the one hand, and this poor widow on the other. So Jesus, at the end of chapter 20, he condemns the religious rulers for their pretense they have an emphasis on the outward. Uh, what was the sitcom on television many years ago? Keeping up appearances. That, that's what the religious rulers were like. And uh, these people now uh, sitting in the court of women uh, would just be craning their necks, uh, looking at all the great and the good coming with their gifts. There's nothing worse, is there, uh, than a religious preening. Religious posturing. We all do it, don't we? That pious look to show that we're humble. <laughs> Whereas we're just proud of ourselves. And we, we can imagine, can't we, the scene? We, we can imagine uh, somebody rich coming. And he doesn't want to draw attention to himself. He doesn't want to look as if he's drawing attention to himself. But he's probably doing that in a religious way. And maybe he's got so much to give, he can't carry it all. He's got to have a servant carry his money as well. And then with that spiritual way of doing it, he puts the money in the respectables. I don't know what the spiritual way is, but, and you can hear this cascade of coins and the people, ah, there's a spiritual man for you. Jesus, not impressed. No, not, not impressed. And then, this is the contrast, this complete opposite, this poor widow. Widows in Bible times were worse off than today. There was no support for them. If you were a widow, you were on your own. That is why Isaiah talks about who will plead the widow's case. That is why true religion is visiting the widows. They were dirt poor. And here she is coming. She's not drawing attention to herself. Nobody's interested in her. I'm sure once she comes to the trumpets, nobody's looking anymore. But Jesus sees. And I don't know how she puts her two mites in. 
But did they hear anything? Maybe a tinkle? Do you know what a mite is? Do you know what a mite is? Well, there are several kinds of mites, are there? There are mites that can bite you. But this was a lepton. That's what it was called. And it means peel. The mite was the smallest coinage in Judaism. So it was worth, this is true now, one one hundred and twenty-eighth of a denarius. So a person was paid a denarius for a day's work. So this widow basically put in two leptons, two mites, that were the equivalent of ten minutes' pay. So what? In comparison to what the great and the good were putting in, it, it's, it was nothing. It was minuscule. And yet Jesus takes notice. Jesus sees. That's what we're told. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he's nonplussed. And then he saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. And he's amazed. He's amazed. Now it should challenge us that Jesus sees us. The author to the Hebrews says, all things are naked and are open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We can't hide anything. But isn't it an inspiration as well that he sees you? He sees you. That's what struck me in the psalm I read at the start. I am poor and needy. That's what this widow could have said. I don't think she wanted to be seen. She was only interested in what God thought of her. I am poor and needy, but the Lord thinketh upon me. That's what counts. Are you worried about what you're giving? Are you worried that it's too small? In one sense, it doesn't matter. It's what he thinks. Maybe we need to give more. But still, it's what he thinks. That's the driving force. It's not trying to pressurize one another into it. We're very low-key here, aren't we, in the way we do offerings, uh, even before lockdown. But I remember going to Cameroon. I don't know if any of you have been to an African church. The offering is part of the service, so it's part of the worship. And it would take, in this church in Cameroon, it would take half an hour for the offering. Because each member would go up to the front with their offering. And there was nothing uh, unspiritual about it. This was their expression of thankfulness, and you'll see why I'm mentioning this in a moment. And they would each do a little jig as they would go up. Their hearts were so filled with thankfulness. Now, please don't take this the wrong way, but I can imagine the Lord Jesus here, people watching, and everybody else is impressed with how much noise they can hear from the great and the goods giving. And he's just not interested. And then this poor widow that nobody else notices, he sees. And you know, I can imagine him getting up on his feet and doing a jig even in the context of my illustration and saying, look, Peter, James, John, look, she's given more than all of them put together. He sees. He sees. How much should I give? I can't tell you. You're doing it before him. 
he sees. So that, that's the first thing. I don't know what it's like with you financially at this moment. We're living in difficult times, aren't we? And maybe you, like many people, are struggling. He sees. He knows. I am poor and needy, but the Lord thinketh on me. Now, let's look now at why Jesus, I want to spend more time here, why is Jesus so amazed at the two leptons that this woman has given and not at the vast amounts the others have given? I want us to look at God's economics because they're very different to ours. Now, what can we say about God's economics? Listen to the Lord, verse 3. So he said, Amen. That's what truly means. I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. Now, what is God's economics? Why is Jesus so thrilled at, about this woman's giving? The first point is this. God isn't interested in amounts. He's interested in the proportion that we give. The two mites was a minuscule amount, but it hurts. It really hurt. I don't think it hurt the bank accounts of the great and the good to give their vast gifts. They could afford it easily. That's why God doesn't take notice of their gifts, but he notices this poor widow's gifts because it hurts. Remember King David after uh, the plague is stopped at the field of Aruna the Jebusites. And Aruna wants to give his land for free to David so he can build an altar there. Do you know what David says? No, I will buy it from you for a price. Do you know why? I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord's cause that cost me nothing i will not offer an offering to the lord my god that doesn't cost me so i don't want us to think of amounts at the moment i know uh, that in a church setting there has to be a balance of the accounts so mathematically there has to be amounts but look god's economics is different what i want you to think of is the proportion does it hurt are we able to say with David, I'm not going to give to the Lord something that doesn't cost me. I don't want a laid-back Christianity. I want something that's serious. He hasn't held back. I'm not going to hold back. He didn't hold back, did he? We're going to be remembering at the end of the service. He sent his only begotten son Thanks be unto God for this inexpressible gift. He gave the greatest. Why do we hold back? Can you see why this is challenging? It's not the amount. It's the attitude that matters. So the second thing, it's not the proportion. It's not the amount. It's the proportion. The second thing, it's the hearts that God is looking at. The hearts. Let me just give you a quotation. Uh, Warren Wearsby said, When it comes to our giving, God sees more than the portion. He sees the proportion. Men see what is given. I like this now. But God sees what is left. Did you get that? We see what is given, but God sees what is left. Um, Winston Churchill used to say, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we 
give. So it's the proportion. And then it's the heart that matters, the attitude of our giving. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is writing about some very poor churches in Macedonia, where Thessalonica is in the northeast of Greece. And even though they are poor, they are just giving so much to the poorer churches in Judea. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, I like this, every man purposes in his heart. So there's got to be some sort of plan, but that's not the gist of it. So as every man purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, not out of compulsion, not because you've been coerced, for God loveth, do you know what it says? The cheerful giver. That's why I think those Africans in their offering, even if they did a jig and we don't quite approve of that, surely they had cheerful hearts. So think of this poor widow. She could have argued... God in the Old Testament commands me to give a tenth, right? A tenth of my income. I can see mathematicians here. What's 10% of two? You can round it off and say zero. If this widow was acting on the principle, I've got to give a tithe, she could have said, I don't need to give anything then. I've only given two. But she didn't. It's understandable, isn't it, that this widow gives 50%. That's amazing, proportion-wise. 50%, one might, and keep the other for her own needs. But she gives 100%. She gives her all. What's the answer here? The answer isn't that we have got to give 100% of our finances, but it's the heart, isn't it? We give our hearts Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, where your heart is, where your treasure is. What did this poor widow put into the offering box? It wasn't just the two mites, she put her heart in. That's what we are to do. Do we give without hearts? Or do we think, oh no, I've got to give? Or do we think, yes, God has loved me so much even the greatest of gifts I can offer for his work is nothing in comparison. And yet I'm so grateful and I'm going to give this. Even if we don't do a jig. <laughs> and then there's something else about God's economics. I've already hinted at this. We give before him, before the Lord. Uh, did you used to have this? In the Presbyterian chapel I was brought up in, in the member's handbook every year, in the middle, you opened the two middle pages and you would have all the donations listed of all the members. Now, I don't know if they did that for transparency's sake, because transparency is important when it comes to finances, or if they did it as well in order to encourage people to give more. But it's not right, is it? It's not right. Our left hand shouldn't know what our right hand is doing when we come to these things. Yes, we should purpose in our hearts to give. Yes, we should budget and plan. But surely we don't show one another. It's before the Lord. It's before him that we give. I'm not trying to be controversial here. 
but our forefathers, for that reason, made the offering part of the worship. I wonder, should we bring back the offering because it is part of our reasonable service, Romans 12. It's part of our sacrifice of thanksgiving. Listen to Paul, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, talking about the poor churches in Macedonia. This is how they gave before the Lord. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, we don't know what they were going through, but it was difficult times. It was squeezing them. We all know what it is to be squeezed, but they squeezed themselves to trust the Lord more. The abundance of joy and the extreme poverty that has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their parts, for they gave beyond their means of their own, uh, their own, uh, but they also gave themselves first to the Lord, and then they were uh, given. Uh, the gifts. Can you see what Paul is saying? We give to God. We give ourselves first and then our gifts. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Do we give ourselves to the Lord? I, I don't think it's about vast amounts then. Maybe some people are given a special grace. I'm thinking of, who was the chap in Bristol in the 19th century? George Muller. I think he was given a special grace to rely completely on the Lord. But George Whitfield, when he was building an orphanage, he had to uh, have a collection at the end of every meeting. So there are exceptional cases where people can just give everything financially to the Lord. But this is not the point here. The point here is that we give ourselves, that we don't hold back. It's not just about money, is it? We tend to confine giving to money. It's about everything. Lord, take me. You have created me. You sustain me. You have saved me. You have redeemed me at such measureless, immeasureless cost. And Lord, I just want to give you something in return. It may not be your money that you will give in abundance. It may be your time. You know, one of the greatest things you can give to the church is your attendance. It's good to see a good congregation here this Sunday evening, but we could do even better, couldn't we? Uh, the prayer meeting it was a bit thin on the ground last Wednesday. It was a good meeting. But give of your time to the Lord. We, we can give our gifts to the Lord, what he's gifted us with. Uh, this is what one missionary said. I like this. The question is not, how large is my gift going to be to God's kingdom work? The real question is, how large a place does God have in my life? Are we holding back or are we giving him our all? I, I don't want a half-baked Christianity, do you? I, I don't want to hold the world in one hand 
and Christ in the other. Because he's redeemed me at such a cost. I want to give my all to him. I don't know how long we've got left in this short and uncertain world, but however long it may be, however short it may be, let's just give our all to him. That's the attitude. No holding back. No holding back. And then, this is my last point, because we've got communion, and communion will remind us of that great sacrifice. It's not the amount that matters, but God's blessing on what we give. Do you get that? If we give spiritually, it's part of our worship. It's part of our reasonable response. I'm convinced of this. God's hand of blessing can be so upon it that it will multiply. What, what proof have I got of that? I think of one example. A little boy coming with two fishes. Were they, I think they were like sardines. Not the biggest fish. And a few loaves of bread. That's all he had. That's all he had. It doesn't matter if, if you're telling me, Pastor, I haven't really thought about giving. And even if I was to begin a regular giving to the church, I wouldn't be able to give that. It doesn't matter. Give what you can. Bring it to the Lord like that boy with the fishes and the bread. And all that matters is the blessing of Jesus upon it. Because when Jesus put his hands on that small gift, it's so multiplied that they didn't have any more space left. It's the blessing of God on what we give. There's a verse in Proverbs quoted again in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. This is God's economics. There is that scatters yet increases. Do you know what that says? You give. You give. You give. And yet, you are not empty. Do you know why? Because God entrusts you with more. Um, I don't know, Andy, when you'll come in Malachi to this verse. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be enough room to receive it. Are we holding too tight on the things that God has given us? Or have we got open palms? You know, God doesn't need us. <laughs> he certainly doesn't need our funds. He can build his church without us. But it's lovely, isn't it, that he wants to use people like you and me. And you know what? Even our money is not ours. It is. What does the psalmist say? This is the money of the time. The cattle on the thousand hills. I haven't got cattle, right? But the cattle on the thousand hills belong to you, O Lord. <laughs> We're just giving back to God what he's already given 
to us. That's why I think God then, when we scatter in human economics, it doesn't make sense. The more you scatter, uh, the less you will have. But in God's economics, it's turned upside down because it already belongs to him. And he has gifted us with things, not just money, but other things as well. And the more we give out of those things, the more then he can shower us with blessings. I'm just thinking of some of the young men that have gone out from our church. In one sense, it's tempting to hold on to them, isn't it? But in giving them to other places, God then has given us more young men. So it's true of everything in the Christian life. Well, I've got to come to a conclusion there. I don't know if I've answered the questions I asked at the start, but do you give? If you're a true Christian, then surely there must be in your hearts an attitude of thankfulness. That's where giving begins. How much do I give? Should I give a tenth? My personal view is that's what was commanded in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's much bigger. It's much deeper. Because we give ourselves first. We give our hearts. And we're not doing it because we're involved in religious posturing and preening, but because we're in his sights. And we just want him to bless us, don't we? Lord, however great our gifts may be, just lay your hands on them. Lay your hands on us, each one of us. And may we in the weeks and months ahead know such an increase that we will just have to say, it is the Lord. And all the glory will go to him for his name's sake. Before we come now to the communion we'll sing maybe you don't normally think of this hymn when considering giving but when this passing world is done not not till then will i fully know how much i owe mcshane's hymn 820 
Father in heaven, please enlarge our hearts as thy people. We just thank thee for being in a church that is so generous. Uh, Father, uh, we're uh, just wanting uh, to uh, just be overflowing uh, with uh, uh, generous uh, hearts, like those poor afflicted Christians in Macedonia, because love so amazing, so divine, demands our life, our soul, our all. Uh, help us not to hold anything back, uh, but where we've been placed, just to give thee our all. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>